Let me start by saying this morning, back uh, in 1991, Dana and I were married. That's, uh, that's in the dark ages for those of you who are under 30. Uh, that's way back when. Uh, we were married in 1991, and uh, that was a wonderful day in our lives. Wonderful day in our lives. Uh, a little did we know that over the next 10 years, um, life would be difficult. Life would be tough. Uh, we'd go through some difficult times, some deep waters. Uh, the pastor who married us, um, he'd been my lead pastor for 17 years as Dana started coming to the church. Been uh, our pastor, brought me on staff out of Bible college and uh, performed, our married, uh, uh, performed our marriage. At the time that he performed our marriage, um, he had been diagnosed with colon cancer, a terminal illness. And uh, uh, shortly after he married us, uh, he passed away. Uh, ours was, in fact, the la- one of the last uh, 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 weddings that he performed. Um, a number of months after that, within the same uh, year, a 17-year-old in our youth group, I was a youth pastor at the time, 17-year-old in our youth group, one of our leadership kids in our youth group uh, was coming home from a basketball game on a Friday night and was killed in the car wreck instantly. I remember early, early, early Saturday morning laying in bed, and uh, this was uh, when you had uh, landlines and answering machines, and I wasn't quick enough to get out of bed and answer the phone, and it was my, um, at that time, interim lead pastor on the phone saying, Darren, you need to get up to the high school, Um, as Jeremy passed away in a car accident last night. Deep times, dark times. Throughout these years, Dana and I were trying to start a family, and many of you know that part of our story, three miscarriages over seven years. During that time, Dana had uh, um, a virus in a facial nerve, and on a Saturday night, we ended up in an emergency room and called the Canadian healthcare system or whatever, but we found ourselves at two in the morning, out in her car on the side of the street, pouring down rain, and she didn't know if she had a brain tumor or or, uh, um, cerebral palsy, or the doctor just said, we don't know what it is, you'll have to see a neurologist on Monday morning. Deep times, dark waters, on top of all of life's other stuff. You've been there? You've been in a place like that? I'd like to say that those 10 years passed and uh, life got great. We've never had a deep, dark time since, but that's not the case. You see, it's these rises and falls, these ups and downs. Life is life. And I'm sure if you're living and breathing and have a pulse this morning, chances are you're here and you have a number of heavy, heavy things in your life. The the weight of this world is on you and you are experiencing maybe a day without hope or many days without hope. Maybe you've been there and if we were to sit down and have coffee together and you're, uh, to look me in the eye and I was to ask you, how are you? And you weren't just, just give me the, the, the pat answer of, oh, I'm okay. Maybe your conversation would go to the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a recent loss. Maybe it was one many years ago, but it's still hurting. Maybe there's a marriage struggle. Maybe there's separation or even divorce. 
Maybe there's financial difficulties, a foreclosure, or maybe even bankruptcy. Maybe there's a medical illness or a situation, a diagnosis, maybe chronic illness or pain that you've been dealing with for quite some time. Maybe it's a loss of relationship. Maybe there's deep loneliness and you feel abandoned. Maybe it's loss of a job or career or some sort of stability in your life. Maybe there's some emotional and mental torment. Maybe there's some addictions. Maybe there's just some things that you wish were different. All these things have left you feeling buried by a mountain of grief or worry or pain or even suffering. Well, here in John chapter 11, Jesus is teaching. He's over by the, the Jordan River. And he's, he's teaching and, and healing and, and leading and, and living his life as an example. And in the third verse, he gets news from a messenger. Follow along. It says, the two sisters, that's Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, it might surprise you, first of all, that Jesus had a dear friend who was very sick. Isn't it funny how we just kind of gloss over things and we read through Scripture and we don't really think, but if you stop and think about it, you go, here's a, not just a friend, but a dear friend of Jesus who's very sick. You might think, you might be sitting there going, hey, well, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a devout Christ follower, why am I getting sick? Well, you can go right back to John chapter 11 and say, well, if Lazarus could get sick, who is a dear, dear friend of Jesus, then obviously this is something more than just being a dear friend of Jesus. The other thing that might surprise you is that Jesus didn't drop everything and go running. And that might upset you to a certain degree. That might frustrate you to a certain degree. That might concern you to a certain degree. Or it might just bewilder you. But in fact, he doesn't move for two days. And here's Mary and Martha back home with a dying brother. And they're frustrated. They're, they've reached out with hope. Uh, if you'd think that someone who knew Jesus would get preferential treatment, right? If, if your brother or sister or you know, father is a doctor, you get preferential treatment, right? Here they are Jesus' best friends, and here they send word and he doesn't come right away. Doesn't he know that this is urgent? Doesn't he know this is dire? And yet why is he making us wait? And so here they are, and their hope is slipping away. You look around the world today and that seems to be the sentiment, right? Hope slipping away. And people react in different manners. Some are just aloof and some are indifferent. Others, there's this anger and this resentment. Some there's this fear and this torment and this terror. But whatever the the response to it, the the sentiment is still the same. It's a world without hope. Days without hope. Hal Lindsey, an author of Late Great Planet Earth, uh, maybe some of you read it back in the 70s and, uh, or have read it since, but this author, Hal Lindsey, he wrote this. He said, man can live without, uh, sorry, man can live with uh, about 40 days without food. Um, some of us, it's less than that. About three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Isn't that profound? We live in a society that has lost all hope. 
much like Mary and Martha lost hope. We've reached the end of our rope. We've been buried under the weight of grief and under the weight of this need that we have. So in fear and worry and out of their deep need for their brother to be made well, these sisters reach out to Jesus. And Jesus' response, as I said, probably wasn't what they were expecting and definitely isn't what we were expecting. Look at verse 4. It says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, his dear friend Lazarus was sick, this is what he said. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And we go, okay. So this happened so that the Son of God would receive glory. And how often have each of us in that place of hopelessness, in that place of need, in that place of of hurt and, and, and suffering, how often have you heard that? This is for the Lord's glory. The Lord will be glorified in all of this. Let me ask you an honest question. You know, like Pastor Barry says, we're in church. Can we be honest? Um... Do you really get a whole lot of comfort from that? Do you get a whole lot of comfort when you're going through hell and someone comes up to you and says, hey, this is for the Lord's glory? I don't. I I don't. That doesn't jazz me. That doesn't kind of put a big smile on my face. I'd like to think it would, but, but it doesn't. I can't sit there and go, oh, yes, oh, isn't that awesome? I have to land back on it, but I'm hurting. There's something here I can't do anything about and I need help. And yet so often we land on this and we say, oh, you know, the Lord will be glorified. Well, in some ways that's just the easy button. And let me tell you, but that's not the right interpretation of what was going on here. That's not the correct understanding and that's not the, the message. This is a misused portion of Scripture. Just this pithy saying. Now, ultimately, I understand, yes, God will be glorified, but this is not the reason for your illness or your sickness or your grief or your pain. You know, when Dana and I were going through miscarriages, somebody coming up to us and saying, hey, this is for God's glory, I don't care about that right now. Pastor, did you really say that? You know, everyone's backing up because lightning bolts are going to come and hit me. That, that's not something that gives me hope. You know, you lose your job. Hey, this is for God's glory. He wants to glorify himself. A severe life-changing illness, death, catastrophe. Hey, oh, this is for God's glory. Well, here, let me say this. And please hear me. God does not need your grief in order to be praised. God does not require someone to get sick or to die to receive glory. God doesn't need your life to fall apart in order for Him to get a pat on the back. God, this is not God looking for a boost to His ego. God is not looking for PR here. When it comes to relationships and finances and emotional well-being and all those things that come crashing down from time to time in our lives, hear me, those are all the work of the devil. Those are not a holy and just God saying, hey, I'm going to do this so that I can get a pat on the back and feel good about myself. 
Sin entered the world at the fall and we live in a sinful and corrupt world and we are under that sin and that corruption and have been ever since. And that does not put a smile on God's face. So when Jesus says, this is so, the Son of God will be glorified, He's not saying, this is so I can come in like Superman and everyone's going to go, wow, isn't that an amazing Jesus? Isn't that an amazing Savior? Pat Him on the back and put Him up on a pedestal. That's not why He said that. Jesus here is not declaring that now that he has arrived to save the day, that he's going to be admired and praised and be the hero of the story. Rather, the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus, in fact, is going to do this. It's going to speed his death. Did you hear me? When Jesus says, this is happening so that the Son of Man will be glorified, how is the Son of Man glorified? It's through death. So what in fact he's saying is, this is happening in your life. You are going through this now. I will be glorified, which means I will die for this. So when someone comes up to you next time and says, this is happening, that God would be glorified, what I want you to hear is that is not God is doing this to get a pat on the back and be put up on a, on a pedestal. In fact, God is doing... God is, is working in this area and this is happening because Jesus died for you. Jesus is dying for you. Has died for you. You get what I'm saying? When Dan and I were sitting outside that emergency room two in the morning with an unknown diagnosis. I didn't know if she was dying. I didn't know if she had cancer. I didn't know what this meant. She didn't know what this meant. We turned to each other. It was Easter Sunday morning. Two in the morning. I'm a pastor. I looked at her and I said, I don't know if we're going to go to church today. I don't know if we're going to be a few short hours from there. We had three services going on. I had responsibilities and I felt the last thing I wanted to do was be there and, and carry out my responsibilities. I felt I needed to call my pastor and just say, we're tapping out. And then the Holy Spirit spoke. And you know what the message that both Dan and I received that night, sitting outside the emergency room, pouring down rain in our little tiny Honda Civic? It was Jesus saying, this is why I came and died. I died for this. I died for this. I died for the forgiveness of your sin. I died for the healing of your body. I died for those things that are causing you grief and pain and suffering. I came and I surrendered my life for these things. So when Jesus says that the Son of Man will be glorified, what he's saying is the Son of Man will die because of things like this. Because the sin that's come into the world, entered into the world, the corruption that's entered the world, he's going to go to the cross. And he gives us a glimpse of eternity. You've heard me say this from time to time. There's these places in Scripture where it's almost as if the, the corner of heaven gets lifted up and we get a little kind of glimpse inside. 
You see, we live in this mortal world. We live in this, this, this world with, of time and space. We live in this world that is, is full of sin and corruption. And every once in a while, we get this little tiny glimpse of heaven. And this is one of those moments where Jesus, in foreshadowing to the cross, He says, look, listen, hear me. This is why I came. You know, I hate to relate Jesus' coming to a Geico commercial, but uh, you know, this this commercial is one, it kind of goes, hey, um, you know, the the announcers on the golf um, broadcast, they they speak really low and they speak soft. And they, they do, it's because it's what they do, Right? And then mothers, mothers call you at inopportune times. Your mom calls you at inopportune times. Why? Because it's what they do. It's their nature. Well, can I say this is why Jesus came. Jesus, yes, he, okay, he came to teach. He came to, to live his life as, as an example for us. But why did Jesus come? Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins. It's what He does. It's what He came to do. For God so loved the world. What did He do? He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? To save the world through Him. And the way He saved the world was, was going to the cross. The writer of the Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus had to go to the cross by His stripes were healed for the healing of our bodies. So we see this corner and this glimpse of the eternal, this glimpse of heaven. This wasn't so that Jesus would get a pat on the back and He'd be exalted as some superhero. He came to die. He came to die. So we're told that Jesus finally makes this journey and he arrives and to discover that his friend has died. Take a look at verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So Bethany's over by the, the Jordan and two miles to Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, and this is a real frank and blunt conversation she has with Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She goes on, confesses, but even now God will give you whatever you ask. I think in that sense she was, once again, the knowledge of the eternal, the knowledge of who she was talking with, but not a full understanding And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, some people get hung up on the four days, two days. It says Jesus waited two days, and yet here we read that it was four days from when the the time that he was requested to the time that he came. And you're saying, well, pastor, how is that the case? Well, theologians say that, in fact, uh, um, it's it's very uh, uh, probable that, that Lazarus died 
shortly after the messenger was dispatched. And in fact, it would take a day, even though it was two miles, it would take a day's journey to get those two miles over to where Jesus was. So that was one day. When the messenger got there, there were two days that Jesus waited and then he left um, uh, Bethany to go to Jerusalem where, um, where Lazarus was. And in fact, that extra day of travel, that would make it four days. It's not just important to understand that. It's important in the four days and that in Jewish um, customs, it was an understanding that uh, after three days, the soul left the body. After three days of, of, after a person had died, the soul, in fact, would leave the body. So you can think of Mary and Martha. Uh, their brother has passed away, and one day goes by, two days goes by, three, do, three days goes by. And there is a, a sense of finality that comes after three days. And you talk about darkness, you talk about hopelessness. I think for them, just reading into some things, they could probably go through day one, day two, day three, and still hold hope knowing who Jesus is. Knowing the miracles that he was capable of. And yet four days, I'm sure the, the last glimmer of hope had left. It goes on in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. I want to pause there just for a second. I think a lot of times it's easy to think that Jesus is divine. Jesus is not like us. Jesus, yes, sure, he experienced life, but did he really experience life? I think this, once again, gives us that glimpse into the eternal, gives us a glimpse into Jesus and who he really is. Here is Jesus, and it says that he was moved. He was truly moved. If we go back in Scripture into Isaiah 53 and we read about the suffering servant, we read about the Lamb of God as Isaiah the prophet spoke about the Messiah who was to come. What did Isaiah say? He says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows familiar with suffering. The word familiar there is the Hebrew word yada. It means to be well acquainted with. You think about Jesus, this is Jesus, the Son of God, sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. He comes to earth, and it says that he was not just aware of suffering, but he was familiar with, or well acquainted with suffering. Surely he carried our infirmities, surely he carried our wickedness. The weight of the world's sin was laid upon him. Do we really understand how Jesus feels? You see, when we go through sickness, when we go through struggle, when we struggle with sin, when our, life, when our lives are a mess, when, when our lives seem to be going to hell in a handbasket, many of us think that Jesus sits back there and goes, I can't relate. And truly he can't, but you know what? At the same time, he can feel. And it says here that he does can I just tell you, when your heart is breaking, God's heart is breaking too. When you're feeling the weight of the world and you're feeling the sorrow of the world and, and you're sitting in a car at two in the morning and the world is coming crashing down around you, Jesus' heart is breaking. 
his tears, his sorrow, his sadness. He feels your pain, your sorrow. But can I tell you, that's why he came. He didn't just sit there to go, oh well, I don't know what to do. That's why he came. So as he sits there with his best friend, his best friend is dead. And he's got a plan. And the plan at that moment includes raising his best friend to life. But he knows ultimately the plan is him going to the cross. That's the plan. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to, him, uh, said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, when Jesus speaks, the dead come to life. When Jesus speaks, sickness ends. When Jesus speaks, sadness ends. When Jesus speaks, mountains move out of the way. When Jesus steps onto the scene, life as we know it changes. It changes. It changes. Will we have trouble? Yes. Will we have sorrow? Yes. Will we have sadness? Yes. But that is why Jesus came. Now hear me, this side of heaven, I don't understand why every sickness isn't healed, every sorrow isn't made better, every sadness isn't resolved right there, right now, but in the grand scheme of eternity and His glory and His timing, all things will be made new again. One day, as we talked about last week, we will live in His presence for all of eternity. You see, we live in this time and space constraint, this time continuum that God is not bound by. In much the same way, God wasn't bound by an understanding that after three days, a soul left an individual and there was no hope. No, He wasn't bound by that. Because when He spoke, the dead came to life. My question is, are there some areas of your life today that you need Jesus to speak to and brought to life? Is there some sorrow? Is there some sadness? Is there some loss? Is there some pain? Are there some dark places in your life that you need the light of Jesus to come into today? And hear me. He will do it. Why? Because that's who He is and that's why He came. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes.